Hi everybody, it's Daniel. Just before we begin our breakdown of Don't Let Me Explode, I want to shout out and congratulate Ryan Trim, who entered our contest over the A vs B section in Stevie Nicks. He said that we missed discussing the lack of guitar parts in the B section. That wasn't what we were looking for, but close enough. So congrats to Ryan, we'll be in touch about your album prize. We'll reveal the full answer at about the 15 minute mark of this episode, though it's about time signatures for a hint. Okay, we're calling your name. Let's go. He said, what about Los Angeles? She said, we never really made it that far. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a Positive Jam podcast hosted, uh, co-hosted by me, of course, Sean Westfall and Dan Schwartzman. Say hi, Dan. Hi, everybody. And of course, Michael Brooks Taylor. Say hi, Michael. Hi. Hey, guys. Hi, hi, guys. We are up to season two, episode eight. If my number is correct, don't don't let me explode. Track eight off of the whole steady sophomore album, Separation Sunday. And if if I remember correctly, in fact, the, the the teaser for this season made clear this is one of this this song contains one of Mike's favorite yelly yelly he said earlier moments in the hold steady canon so i'm interested to hear mike's take on that dan why don't we start with you what what are your sort of uh 30, foot level thoughts on don't let me explode i was trying to think about this earlier and i a baseball metaphor came to me which is that as it should <laughs> I'm usually listening. I'm looking fastball from the whole steady. Might be a two seamer, might be a four seamer, but I'm mostly looking for the heat. It could be Stevie Nicks is still pretty much a fastball, little hood rat friend, constructive summer later on, et cetera. And they can throw they can throw a change up, I think, here and there. Killer parties is probably a change up, I would say. Knuckles, you could argue, is a change up. I love that song. This to me, for a long time, it was, it was just, I just didn't swing at this one. I just left it. <laughs> I just wasn't my pitch, wasn't my, and when I was, I'm listening back and appreciating it a little bit more, but it was definitely one of the ones for me, there were three tracks on this album that I wasn't as excited about. This is definitely one of the three that was like, there was, you know, the top tier tracks and there's the ones like Multitude of Casualties that are solid album tracks. And then there were three songs that I felt were misses. We've already hashed out Charlemagne and Sweatpants. That was where this was for me. I think I've probably underrated it over the years. I think there's more to this song than I gave it credit for. So that's my opening salvo. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I th My attitude about that song is similar to yours, that I would... Initially, when I first listened to this album, I would like that this would be a kind of a skip track, not not a not an every single time skip track. But my attitude about this song has changed too, because I I sort of see how it works, it functions inside the the narrative of the album, but also inside the whole steady canon. And I can talk about that in a minute. But let's talk to Mr. Taylor. Mr. Taylor, quasi cathartic reaction to this song, at least when you hear it. And I'm down. I'm, <laughs> I'm probably assuming that when you hear it live, you you go insane. Is that, is, go nuts. Is, is, yeah. Yeah. Okay. We've talked 
you've both mentioned ways that this song may not be near the top for you or that it, it, it may not have initially grabbed your attention. I understand that, but I'm going to just quickly point out some things that I think are worth, make it worthwhile. And the first is, as Sean mentioned, uh, the vocal delivery in this song to me is very impressive. I think for the dynamic contrast between the sort of speak singing of the early parts and then the full throated yell of, I'm going to try and do it. Say, Barbara, I'm calling your name. It's just like a full, full bore, nothing held back shout that is great in itself, but is doubly great because it's an invocation. It's a prayer and it's a yelled prayer. It's the depths of desperation, the don't let me explode being this. Can there be a more desperate plea than something like, don't let me be annihilated? So I think from that standpoint, there are some elements of greatness in the song. I think also, Daniel, you mentioned Killer Parties. This song follows the same chord progression. We didn't call it this, but I looked it up on Wikipedia. It's the doo-wop progression. Stand by me, last kiss, killer parties. Follow this. This one goes further because it's in 6-8. So it's like fully a doo-wop song. So they're inhabiting some of the oldest rock and roll architecture possible. And I think they're taking it not necessarily someplace new, but they're making it their own song here. So I think on those levels, on the level of just performance from Craig and the band and dynamics, I'm a huge loud, soft, loud kind of guy. I think it it does create these moments. I understand taken as a whole of a song, it may have some issues. The doo progression has some originality questions, for example, which has caught me off guard. But in general, I think that the moment-to-moment impact of the song is really powerful. Right, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's an analogous emotional moment as far as like Craig's vocal delivery on this album. Like there, this is that screaming sort of cathartic moment. Nothing else on the album com- com- comes close. I think things resonate emotionally at the same depth, but it's not because of the vocal delivery and other, you know, we talked about he was getting with her little hood rat friend as being this kind of climactic moment reveal of what had been happening. And some other, I think Holly was a hood rat in resurrection. We haven't gone to yet, but there are these moments like that. I think this one is the one that, that like you said, is just from raw power. It's just raw energy coming out from the band and coming from Craig. And so I think there's something special about that. Yeah, yeah. So I agree with everything that both of you said, of course, with uh, adding my uh, own little sort of cavil, well, a cavil that, that turned into a, a, an agreement as I listened to this, this song more and more over the last couple of years. 
what one of the things that and I'm I'm gonna ignore for the moment how the song functions narratively, because it's pretty clear how it functions narratively. But I think what I find fascinating about this song is that it falls into what I call, I'm probably the only one in America who calls it this because it's a stupid, silly way of describing these songs. Let's see America songs. And you could go back to you could go back to something like City of New Orleans, right? You know, we good morning America, how are you? And we're traveled across. Good morning America, how are you? Sid, don't you know me? I'm your native son. We're in a train and we're traveling this this great land of ours. And look at the wheat fields and look at look at the big cities. And oh my God, isn't it wonderful? Me and Bobby McGee, right? We're 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 hitchhiking. You know, without a care in the world, without fear of our safety, we're just hitchhiking the highways of America. A trucker picks us up and we start playing guitars and seeing the country, right? And then she left me and that's that's what happened. What I love about the Hold Steady's take, and again, it's even markedly different from what their other We Traveled America song is, which is Killer Parties, right? Which closes out Almost Killed Me. They seem very positive about, you know, all the killer parties that that, that they went to, right? At least for the most part, the song is somewhat upbeat. We found out Virginia really is for the lovers. Philly's full of friendly friends who will love you like a brother. In this one, if we can assume that it's Holly and Charlemagne, and maybe Gideon is asking Holly about the trip to sort of dive momentarily into the narrative of the song, the shit they saw in America, they're a little jaded by America by the end of their trip. They've seen some nefarious bad shit, or they didn't go to various places because of the threats to dive a little deeper into the sort of specifics of the song. The chorus is St. Barbara, I'm calling your name. Don't, don't let me blow up. Don't let me explode. He's uh, Craig says, if you look at, and this is one instance of, of many, of course, and where genius.com clarified this, the St. Barbara, and we can all pick up on this if you want, but St. Barbara is apparently the patron saint of landmines. So what I love about this song in comparison to, say, Killer Parties or this other genre of the See America songs is, look, you know, <laughs> America is kind of a screwed up place and you got to watch out for the landmines as you travel or shit's going to go down. So, again, <laughs> the 80s almost killed me and uh, so did America. So that's sort of my high level take on this song. There's only so much you can achieve in a rock song in a relatively short one at that. And I outed myself as a geography nerd all throughout last season, and I've done it this season. Oh, please do that. Did you, There's something did you about give us that nerdism. Just name dropping LA and New Orleans and Denver, especially in times like these where it's about to be, I think by the time this episode comes out, more or less, it will have been a year since I last stepped on a plane. Like there's something that tugs about, and that is, I guess, that American spirit of traveling and getting on the road. The other thing that occurs to me about the ta- the city's name, specifically New Orleans, throwback to Barfruit Blues, where we the girls gone wild. We've got girls. It's a little bit different. Mardi Gras lifting up your shirt versus girls gone wild. But it's you know, girl. I think I feel like that is girls gone wild is New Orleans in spring break in Florida, right? Like that's basically right, right, right. the franchise. Right. Yeah, <laughs> not that I'm a loyal franchise viewer. <laughs> the metaverse. Um, good defense. Good defense of Girls Gone Wild, there, Dan. Thanks. Yeah, just, just, just a quick aside. Hold on. I thought one of my favorite David Tell jokes is where he talks about 
you know, my favorite movies are Girls Gone Wild. He said, I, I like to watch it backwards because it looks like it looks like the girls are learning their lessons. It's <laughs> oh, good. Dave, oh, God. I loved it. Oh, um, man. But the other uh, we've mentioned a couple times Dylan and whether Dylan comes up. And one thing that occurred to me here, first of all, he has more than his share. And that also comes both through the country veins and the folk veins, the traveling song Tangled Up in Blue and Idiot Wind are two obvious ones. Right, right, right. But the documentary No Direction Home talks about has Al Cooper on scene. So I think maybe Sean is flashing thumbs up. So maybe he was thinking of what I'm thinking. But uh, Al Cooper in that documentary, Al Cooper is an organist, is a multi-instrumentalist. He played French horn on You Can't Get What You Want by the Rolling Stones and was in Blood, Sweat and Tears and has great like organist hair, like just sort of that spiky hair. Yeah, yeah. And he played he played the organ on Highway 61 Revisited. Dylan's album where he fully went electric, where he played rolling like a rolling stone, where Al Cooper famously stumbled onto the organ line there. But anyway, he talked about playing with Dylan and Dylan was fairly controversial because he would play an acoustic set for his old fans, essentially. But then he would come out with an electric set and the fans weren't like it. And Cooper said at some point they played at like Forest Hills. They might have in New York. They might have played out west in the Hollywood Bowl or something. But then they were supposed to do a big tour. And he's like, I'm not going to Dallas. Like, you saw what they did to Kennedy. I'm not going there right, for that. Right, 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 right. This is, oh. I should say, this is like about this. This came out in 05, I want to say. So I don't think Craig would have actually, I mean, chances are Al Cooper has used that line before. But I don't, I think right. it's unlikely there was common, uh, that that was sourced to that. But it was the same idea of the like, you saw how they did to Kennedy? What do you think they're going to do with this guy? And so right, 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 right. Uh, I think that that is a nice touch on the sentiment of how people might feel about Dallas from outside. Dallas seems relatively interesting these days, but separate. <laughs> True. Yeah, I, I mean, it's I there's there's something to that. You know, and th- this is what I, I always love about Craig Finn is his ability to sort of deconstruct these things, to sort of play around with the genre of traveling song and discover nuances that, you know, other songwriters just don't seem to, well, other songwriters, because they aren't, don't have Craig Finn's brain, don't, don't seem, they tend not to play around in that pool. They, they tend to write, this, some songwriters, even successful ones, tend to write the same song over again. And not Craig, he's playing around with a number of songwriting genres and another songwriting trips there that I just really, really fun way. So, yeah. I liked that Mike already brought up the musical aspects. I didn't think about the chord progression, but there is so much the doo-wop. I love that. And I, I remember after Killer Parties looking up at that, it's such a common chord progression. I didn't remember that was called doo-wop, but there, there are a couple of things I want to zero in on. First of all, I thought it was three, four, not six, eight, but either way, it's in that three beat, which of three. Yeah. Now you finally know that that's what we missed about Stevie Nicks is that they do hit into a six, eight in the B section pretty directly. So here, I, this is the first hold steady song solely in that time signature, solely in a three instead of a four. And it's, that's probably something that threw me off at the time. 
And there's something that feels it's just a different vibe totally because of it. And three, four can be great. The artist who I think does the best work with three, four is Leonard Cohen, who does it on. I was jotting down a few Marianne. One of us cannot be wrong. And then a song on his Death of a Ladies album, Memories, which is also the doo-wop style. I think probably the same chord progression, hearing it in my head, and definitely the same feel. It's like a high school dance. So you have that here even down to like the way Tad is playing guitar. This was co-written by Franz Nikolai and it's very much a piano song, but the way Tad is like picking on the guitar up and down is very like that feeling of doo-wop. And so, yeah, I think that's something that I think probably made me less excited about the song at the time just because I was looking fastball 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 but that re-listening to it now I was like oh that that's like it's not a toss-off song there's something yeah. here Mike you look like you want to say something I was trying to think of other three four six eight ultimate guitar listed as three four that distinction's always been a little bit confusing to me. I think it sounds like they're in groups of six notes, but whatever. Let's not worry too much about that. I was trying to think of other songs that are in that group of three time signature that bang as hard as this during the St. Barbara part. It's like a gentler. It's usually, I think, three, four and six, eight are like doo-wop sort of softer and, and gentler type of progression. I think it's remarkable how hard this song goes given the time signature it's in and they're just banging each note is just i don't know i think that's they figured out a way to make that hit hard which i think is impressive that was my main thought regarding the change up and the and i think there is something to that it found it sounds really familiar the first time you hear it and you're like what are they doing why are they doing this like everything else sounds kind of more fresh I think sounds more like they wrote it themselves. And this sounds like it's just kind of like a let's do a doo-wop song decision. But I think it's sort of you, where you land on this probably is more a question of like their execution or did they do something unique enough with it, within the framework? I agree that it's tried and true. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because I, I had never thought about the chord progressions because that's just not my bailiwick. But also, I never really realized that, that that you're you're both right, and and everyone else is right. This this is a doo-wop song, and I never considered that. But I guess you know, knowing now that it is a doo-wop song, and Mike, you were talking earlier about dynamics, and if you think about album dynamics, right? You 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 want to go hard, cool opening, and maybe slow it down, second or third song, change it up here, here and there. It's interesting that that not only does Craig change up with a doo-wop song here but that he crafts the lyrics to sort of fit inside this and make both the genre of the song which is doo-wop and the narrative you know to to continue and to further along the narrative it is cohesive and it makes perfect sense right here you know at this point in the album and it's just you know just a testament just to how gifted a songwriter Craig Finn is it's just how it's not just a piece 
it's not just track eight on an album. It's the ideal, perfect track eight on Separation Sunday. It just makes perfect sense right here. And considering dynamically what he's trying to do throughout the album, have, have we talked about like other other types of, you know, I'm, you guys are, are better at this than I am. What other kinds of songs are on this album? You know, we have a quasi punk song. Do, do I have that right? We have a, what, what, what other sort of genre S rock songs are we looking at here? Uh, let's just run down Hornets, Hornets, kind of a classic 70s proto punk progression with a walk down cattle and the creeping things. I'm not even sure what I would call that one. That's another 70s proto punk progression. That's the walk down. Actually, Hornets, Hornets is that wandering riff that's uh, kind of like Zeppelin esque maybe or something yeah. like that. Little Hood Rat Friend is, yeah, I think kind of more like a new wave, poppy, verse, chorus, verse type of thing. Banging Camp is just a ACDC three chord, bang, bang, bang. Charlemagne, I don't know. It's a slimy blues riff? Is yeah. it, is slimy it blues? blues. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Funky, dirty right. song. Funky, right, dirty right. blues. Stevie Nicks, uh, we talked about pure ACDC riffage. Right, and, and, and quasi springsteen S, right? Because it's got that sort of like center in it, which is like piano bass and things like that, right? Yeah, and then multitude, like we talked about a little bit, punk, slowed down, restrained, punky type of vibe. And right. uh, don't let me explode, do off. So yeah, that's kind of... See, he's, a lot he's of, just showing off. He's just showing off. That's all he's doing. He's saying... Fuck you guys. Look at this. I could write all these wonderful songs in various giant. He's just showing off here. That's all he's doing. <laughs> well, I the co co-writing Franz Nicolay, I think is worth noting here because right. they actually just re- Sean, you shared this with us, but they they just reviewed all their albums in a I think New York magazine QA type of thing. And and they mentioned that Franz really was integrated into the band over the course of recording this album. And I think he brings just a lot more breadth of musical knowledge. Tad mentions in that piece, I think, that he was sort of envious of the the level of musical skill that Franz brought right. to the table. So I think it's interesting that he contributes on this song and his contribution is kind of just a pure down the middle iteration of this doo-wop thing. So I wonder if they would have done this if Franz wasn't as involved in the process. And I wonder if he gives them the confidence to be this kind of like stuck to the blueprint of like a classic sort of timeless type of framework. Right. Well, and it's also, I was going to cite that Uproxx interview it's tad and craig reviewing every album oh, up rocks okay yeah but but tad talks about this being a honeymoon period for him and franz he says it specifically in the boys and girls in america section presumably fine if there's not honeymoon it's the new relationship working out and most you can definitely from the first track on feel the organs feel the keyboards feel the pianos but there's not really a piano driven song and even certain songs on the last album it's obviously in the piano, but that doesn't, to me, we talked about it being Billy Joel-esque. So I guess it's piano-driven, but it doesn't it doesn't stick out as obviously. And on this album, the keys are are there, but they, they still feel like they are there to play on the guitar's turf, and they're working together. 
And this is the one song where it's the reverse and where the, I mean, we'll set aside the little, there's one little track that is an exception as well that we'll get to. And so that's, that's interesting. And it's in these early days, they really do play off each other. Well, I mean, it is really, you're getting more than the sum of the parts. I was, as I saw that article there, they had embedded the bands stuck between stations on Letterman and that you see stuck between stations is probably actually piano first and then guitar playing on the pianos field, but it still works tremendously well. And so that's just an interesting thing about the piano leading here. God, they're, they're just there again, once again, I, we discover nuances in this in this song that sort of resonate throughout their entire catalog. It's just amazing. Are we at Golden Nuggets time? Are we at Golden Nuggets time? Is, is oh, anyone? I want to jump in with one one more quick thing. This is a direct response to and subversion of Multitude of Casualties, the previous song, which is also a road song. And this is like after the road trip, someone's quizzing her about how it went, and she didn't really get anywhere. There's a lot of seems like despite the desperation within the song, there's like a lot of we didn't do a lot of things that didn't happen or that she's denying. And I want to flag that idea of I was not involved. This didn't happen. If she asked, don't tell her. Craig goes to that a lot. This like denial, this idea of denying things. And I just want to. This is a huge example of that because she she writes off every sort of specific question and says, no, 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 we didn't do this. We didn't do that. What is that? What do you think of that? The, uh, the, the, the idea that, that whenever confronted with with a narrative, she says she tries to get to the truth. This device from the writing perspective, this device of no, 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 we didn't. You mentioned like. As a lyricist, you mention a place like Dallas, but you say we didn't go there. And like, you know, there's all this like negation of but the idea is still there. Like, what is what is up with that? Why are we doing this? I think if it's functioning rhetorically, it's a narrator trying to give us a sense of verisimilitude that the overmind of a narrator constructed the song wants us to believe that Holly is telling the truth because she's being bombarded and confronted with counter narratives. Or, by the way, this entire album lyrically isn't heard, it's overheard. That we get the perspective of just about every single character. And, you know, let's call them, but let's, let's Holly and Gideon and, and Charlemagne. And I know that we get impatient, you know, that some of our listeners probably get patient, you know, discussing who's narrating what. But putting all that aside, we don't really hear the story, we overhear it. It's told from, yeah, I talked to Holly and she said this and and Holly said Gideon did this and Holly said and Charlemagne said that Holly it's an aspect of overhearing. So even in the song we're hearing a narrator talk about how Holly or how let's and let's call her Holly how the narrator in this song is puncturing whatever perceptions he might have had or the listener that this guy is talking to about Holly might have had. It's this is it's a it's a it's a very sophisticated way. I, I mean, trust me, guys. There are English classes, undergraduate and graduate level, that all they do is sit there and pick apart postmodern narratives and <laughs> who's telling what and who's and what that does to our understanding of the text. And this is just one more way that the 
I think that the, I think Craig, Craig's not doing it to be clever. It's just that he sort of grew up in that era of where these narratives were popular. And he, you know, wisely and sagely used the structure for not just this song, but for many of the songs where we don't hear the story, we overhear it. So I think that's, that's one way. Of- well said. Overheard I, narrative. That does a lot. Sean, you had mentioned earlier that you thought it was obvious what this does in the narrative. So what did you mean by that? Like what, either for me or for the listeners, like what, what is this song in that broader context? It's to sort of trace Holly's dissatisfaction with the country. She's, she's coming down off the high. Things got bad. Yeah, I, you, you, we're, we're slowly ramping up or I guess more accurately ramping down to the you know to the eventual fall that's going to happen or to, you know, she's, she's in the midst of the fall and we're sort of ramping down slash up into the resurrection that's going to happen at the end of the album and, and again i think mike is spot on when he says this is a prayer this is a a pleading for mercy because this narrator and by implication some of the other narrators in this song have been through a lot they've seen a lot and they need some recompense. They need some, they need some mercy. They need some, they need some mercy. So I think that's sort of how it's functioning in the overall narrative structure of the album. Well, I just, I wanted to throw that in there, but then to Mike's earlier question, it reminds me of what we talked about back way back with the swish, which is that there's a way that by saying people call me, my name's Robbie Robertson, but people call me robo it allows you to say something about the person without them having to say, well, I like to drink Robitussin or whatever, you know? And so there's a little, there's a little clever sleight of hand to make it a little bit more interesting. And so that's probably, I'm not sure whether I, I don't think we take Holly as a trustworthy narrator per se, but I think the idea of her sort of, it allows us to figure out well what did happen by her saying what didn't happen. Right, 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 right. Oh, that's a that's a great way of putting that. Thank you. That's awesome. Uh, so so are we now at Golden Nuggets section? Uh, I'm nugget, Golden Nuggets time. I'm nugget ready. Yeah, I'm nugget. Nugget it up. Tee off, Michael. Nugget it up. Okay, Jackie Onassis reference. I feel like it takes. Damn it! You took my god. Damn it! I have more. You want this one? Go ahead. No, no, no. Take, no, take it. Take it. Take it. Take it. Take it. Oh, Go you'll ahead. probably have something. I doubt we have the same thing. Okay. I think it takes a lot of stones to do to drop a Jackie Onassis reference. It's just like she's sort of this, I don't know, saint type of figure, maybe in American myth, and maybe less so now than in 2005, just because of collective memory fading or whatever. But it's another album. Evil Empire by Rage Against the Machine. There's a song called Tire Me on that. And Zach De La Rocha, he goes, I want to be Jackie Onassis. I want to wear a pair of dark sunglasses. I want to be Jackie. Oh, 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 please don't die. And then it goes nuts. And I just think it's cool that Craig Finn is in the same sort of lyrical ballsiness category as the, the singer from Rage Against the Machine. It's He'll go places that I don't know. I don't nowadays. I don't think necessarily I think of the lyrics as being that bold or brash. But when this first came out, I was like, can you say that? 
and I'm glad I'm glad he did. I think it's great. There, but that's like a little bit of that punky flicker of like saying stuff you're not supposed to. Uh, uh, D- Dan, golden nugget. I was going to say, maybe, Sean, why don't you take a golden nugget instead of always saving yours, just in case we overstep. <laughs> No, no, please. I've saved mine because sometimes you guys say things that make me think of something new. In fact, that's what Mike just did. My golden nugget was Jackie Onassis too, primarily because I, I love the idea of Craig calling her Jackie Onassis when basically he's saying, yeah, the woman who was Jack Kennedy's widow who went on to marry a Greek shipping magnet. Like he didn't call her Jackie Kennedy, right? Which would resonate, I think, even more with 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 some of the he called her Jackie Onassis, which I think thought was was cool. But Mike, you just said something that I hadn't thought of, which is the balls to sort of throw and you know, name drop Jackie Onassis. And it reminded me of in Dylan's Time Out of Mind album, there's this, I can't remember the name of the song, but it's just one of these 11 minute Dylan you know, going to take you on a philosophical American journey inside my mind and inside the culture. And he name drops. She, she asked me what I was reading. And I said, Erica Young. Which way? Erica Young. If you don't know who Erica Young is, Erica Young published a book back in the 70s, mid 70s. It's one of these sort of like watershed feminist books and it wasn't like a feminist like like philosophical track but it was a novel about this woman breaking out of an oppressive marriage and oppressive relationship and basically she just it's it, i'm not trying to diminish its literariness because it's it's actually well written but basically she just fucks her way across new york as a way of sort of like i'm liberated i'm doing whatever the hell i want and in fact if she in in inside this novel is a reference it just became sort of a touchstone in 70s feminist sexuality culture she coined this phrase called the zipless fuck and i just find that interesting but again the idea that dylan would dylan would reference erica young of all play of all people in his song as opposed to you know in the past when he's referenced everyone from novelists and writers and and all those things so i just found it interesting that you know that craig too is like you know what I'm going to throw a Jackie Onassis reference in this song, and I'm going to see what I can do with it. I just, and again, that that all this this entire verbiage stem from your observation, Mike. It, it, it does. It takes it takes lyrical guts to do what Craig does throwing a Jack. And again, in the next song, we're going to see a lot of wheelhouse Craig Finn references, a lot of literary references. But yeah, this Jackie Onassis reference is cool. So, so take it, Dan. Well, the one thing I was going to add is that the meter really makes Onassis sound good in a way that you're right. The the Kennedy wouldn't, right? (laughs) I mean, he uses I was I wrongly thought for a second that Kennedy was a four syllable word. It's not. And he uses Kennedy a line later. (laughs) (laughs) I was just trying to think of it was just a dumb (laughs) Kennedy is longer. It must have an extra Kennedy. You know, so. But yeah, Jackie Onassis said. There's something very that you can't. Jackie Kennedy is in some ways less to that bum 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 that three four. Right. So so I think right, that. Right. Well, in the compound rhyme with Catholics, yet the right. next line right. is right. Makes it even sort of extra cheeky. Uh, there's a lot. Yeah. yeah, cheeky little dummy. My, I think what I like about. 
the don't let me explode. I can feel the whole scene starting to corrode. It calls to mind for me the end of Hostile Mass and the scene is cracking down and everything's falling apart and they're more positive at that. That's such a rip-roaring finish. And here, right. even though the music is still pretty sunny, there's more evidence of like, oh, this isn't, the ride's not very fun anymore. And so, so yeah, I like that. I also, that verse ends with a touch to frontage roads, which we saw last week. So yeah, that, that was just my one, that feeling of corrosion, the use of corrode is a rhyme with explode and then just really fits right, right, in. Right, right. I just thought that was right. Right. I, I, I love that last verse. Just smile up polite like and said something vague. She says Charlemagne got caught up in some complicated things. Yeah, and then she wiped at her nose and she winked. That's just such a cool th- those two lines could stand like like that's poetry right there. They could be that could be like first poetry that you come across in some literary journal. It's really good. Good stuff. I, I want to just bookmark that for when we get to Crucifixion Cruise, because I feel like there's that verse is the most interesting to me in terms of grappling with this song in Crucifixion Cruise. And so I want to just cool. save it. Well, have we if exhausted all the possibilities of uh, uh, Don't Let Me Explode? Any final thoughts? Two quick things. Hang around the upper Midwest. Hit me hard early on in my listening career because I think it just privileges the Midwest so much, which is really nice. And then uh, those final two lines you mentioned, Sean, obviously are just a reference to killer parties. I feel like if we didn't at least check that box. Look, listeners, you already know that we're all we're all grownups here, but I just feel like we got to say it so we don't get any emails about it. You guys wow. are policing us. You guys are ruthlessly policing it's us. Really, and thank, really tough. And thank God Cancel you are. culture yeah. is getting out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of this episode. We'll, we'll end on cancel culture. Thanks, everyone, for listening to A Positive Jam with Dan Schwartzman and Mike Taylor and myself. Next week is, shoot, why am I blanking on the title? What's the title? Uh, um, Chicago seemed tired last Chicago night. Seemed, it did seem, that's probably why I'm blanking on the title because I am I seem tired as well. Chicago, you Chicago. seem tired. Do you need you a seem nap? tired. What's Chicago? Are you, you okay? A little tired. Are you okay? How's, how's your system, Chicago? You know, I have you, walked have up you, to Chicago and I said, you do seem a little tired and Chicago got really angry at me. They, Chicago said, really I'm defensive. just not wearing makeup today. I just didn't put <laughs> makeup on. Really How defensive. dare you? How dare you? I don't you? know. I don't know why Chicago gets like that. It's so defensive. It's really, I don't understand. You know, and and Chicago has so much going for her. You know, it's, it's like why, she? It's like get out of your own way, Chicago. Like, Chicago, look, Chicago. She, she should go out to a spa. That's what she should know, do. She's never been. She's never been the same since she broke up with Milwaukee. It just hasn't <laughs> been like, the same. Get, thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that. You know, I thought she could do better at the time, but now, you know, <laughs> just seeming a little flat these days. Flat, she's sprawling out a little bit, you know. <laughs> Gotta be uh, tough when your life is the second city, though, to be fair. Exactly. exactly. It's no fun being second city. It's, it's no fun. It's just it's absolutely no fun. no fun. I mean, all you do is, 
He's just gets and everyone around is eating pot roast. I mean, what's going on there? <laughs> get some rest. Chicago, some please. Rest. Chicago, just get please. some rest. We're worried <laughs> about you. <laughs> uh. All right. Uh, that brings us to an end. Thank you all for joining us. Save, save, save your emails and criticisms. Send them to us. Please spare us. Please be kind Look, to us. We, so we love you. I'm just so worried about her. <laughs> she seems so tired. All right, everyone. Thank you again. Good night. <laughs> Good night. Good night, Chicago. <laughs> Thanks for listening to A Positive Jam as ever. Congrats again to Ryan Trim on the victory in our Stevie Nicks contest. As I said, we'll be in touch with getting you a copy of this album or Open Door Policy soon. Hit us up on Twitter at, at Daniel Shortman, at M. Brooks Taylor, and at Sean Westfall for more fun discussion. Or email us at mail at shortmanstudios.com. All song rights belong to the copyright holders. Fun list of songs here. I couldn't track down a YouTube clip of that Al Cooper quote, but look it up. It's great. We've got a special guest coming on for Chicago Seemed Tired last night, so stay tuned for that. And Leonard Cohen goes pretty hard on the end of Memories, so while I don't like to gainsay Mike, I had to have us use that to send us out today. See you next time, and bring Nelson and William Butler with you. <laughs>